Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Today's the day, and I'm not really happy about it. Came in real late because I was searching for a two-liter bottle of orange soda, and I know it's not exactly the hardest to find. It's just anytime I would go somewhere, I did go to one store, they didn't have it, then I had to go to another grocery store, and I'm coming in at like 11.30, and everybody is saying I shouldn't do it. We have doctors texting me on the text line 704-570-9610 to say, hey, it's not a good idea. I wouldn't drink that whole two-liter of orange soda in an hour, and so we're starting off scared today, Wes. More scared than I've ever started, Wes and Walker, and I apologize for that. Yeah, but uh, we're excited at the same time. Anybody <laughs> that, that you can see do a feat that you don't see every day, it's going to make you a little excited. So I can't wait to see how this is going to go down. It will be chronicled, so follow uh, the Wes and Walker pages, WFNZ, the stories, all that good stuff. On social media, on X and Instagram, it will be chronicled. You will see this. All right, so we have this one. This is Who Loves Orange Soda. Walker has to drink a two-liter of orange soda in what was originally... Wes loves orange soda. That's right. A segment's worth of time. Since then, that has been challenged. So I think the alteration here is that we're going to be drinking this. I think just on a time limit throughout the show, Wes has allowed me to do this. Yes. Other people actually want me to do it. Fitty said that if I break down and have a seizure, that he does not want to drive me to the hospital because he doesn't want his airtime wasted. Right. Can you be the witness to this, Wes? I can. Okay. That was something that he said. Fitty is like, uh, I'm sure you Fitty? probably like the God bless you. Showgirls, I'm surprised your favorite athlete isn't Tanya Harding, you know, because Fitty is a guy that's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm starting to feel that's like, you know, he'll make us feel like he's for us. But when it comes down to him benefiting, off of something, I think he would get us lined up or he would uh, get us out of here any chance he gets. It's like Drago said in Rocky Four: if he dies, he dies. Damn. Yeah, that's that's cold. Uh, unlike the soda, by the way, which is lukewarm. <laughs> but you are cold. I need to put it up next to your heart to make sure that this thing gets to actual drinking temperature. Yeah, for those that don't know, these are the street turkey punishments. This is brought to you, I guess, by... The Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays and the Second Harvest Food Bank of Metrolina because we partner with them during street turkeys. It's not like they are endorsing this specific measure. I don't want to say that. Just I want to tell you to go continue to donate. Just might as well get some more good out of this while I'm drinking a two liter of orange soda. So continue to donate to people that still need food just because it's not holiday season. Even if that is an emphasis when we should be donating all the goods that we possibly can, we can still do that all year round. And so this is just to keep them in the loop. This is just to keep them at the forefront while we continue on with Wesson Walker. And because of you guys donating a hundred dollars at a time, each $100 donation allowed us to spin the wheel of death and wherever the arrow was pointing was the punishment we would have to carry out. I know the next one, that is going to be Wes dressing up like a North Carolina basketball player. Yeah, which that's almost enough to kill me. It might be. He's going to start yeah. shaking a little bit. We're going to have to make sure yeah. he's got a lot of water. Yeah. We're going to have to make sure he has a lot of cold air, just making sure that he's alive too. But me and Fiddy have been talking about it. He's got the shorts. I've got the jersey. It's going to go down next week. And so we're going to be doing this, and I'm going to be drinking it all day. We'll, we'll see how long it takes me. In the meantime, we'll talk some Carolina Panthers coaching search. We'll talk David Tepper, 
his role, the difference in this offseason coaching surge compared to last year, the pool of candidates, how different they are. Doug Branson will join us to talk Hornets trade deadline at uh, 1245. And the goal is to still have Steve Weishon. I mean, this is it's been it's tough. I'm trying to get this guy from NFL Network. He's very busy. So hopefully he can join us today as well. Let's pull up to the scene. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's starting. Let's pull up to the scene. I love orange soda. Open up the doors, Fitty. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Took a big goat right there. There's not a dent in the soda, and it feels like I drank a whole glass. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just so everybody knows the nutrition facts, this is per 12 fluid ounces. There are 160 calories, 44 grams of added sugar, which is 88, 88% of your daily value of sugar per serving. There are six servings per liter. Mm. We're about to have... Are you going to drink a week week's worth worth of sugar? That's correct. Damn. Yep, I'm about to drink a week's worth of sugar. No caffeine today, so hopefully that helps my heart just a tiny bit. Yeah. No caffeine, no other sugar. I'm going to try to get some water. So basically what Fiddy drinks every two days. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah, Randall is saying if it's diet, sun-kissed, or Fanta Zero, it'll help you. I did not do that. This is a punishment, so we are going all the way on this. Has a ginger wife says strawberry soda is the goat, though. Is that true? I do like strawberry soda. I'm not going to lie. We were talking about it in the fishbowl before this, though. I did say they had a a Fanta Zero in the Coke Freestyle machines, um, and I did try the Fanta Zeros actually a couple of weeks ago, man. They were uh, they were great. All right, so we have that going on. We have people writing in. 704 says, I know kids that can drink a bottle of orange soda in an hour, and y'all are grown-ass men and can't do it. Get out of here. Come up with something better than that. Oh, hey, good you're Lord. The Who one? is this guy? You said the video in. Damn, talking tough. Yeah, we've got other people praying for me on the text line. <laughs> one says, you're not man enough, and then Myron is saying, good luck with the praying emoji thank you myron <laughs> okay thank you Jeez, i we're, we're gonna figure Can't we it all out just get along no apparently we can't the text line won't let us let's talk about some of the other uh candidates we talked about bobby slowick dave canales interviewed yesterday wes we like dave canales you and i are both feeling his attractiveness we're also both feeling <laughs> his ability to drop a game plan for smaller quarterbacks russell wilson baker mayfield and dave canales will be coaching this weekend as they move on into the divisional round of the postseason. The Panthers also interviewed offensive coordinator for the Texans, Bobby Slowick. It does feel like those are the two guys that have been interviewed so far that are the best two candidates. Ben Johnson's still the top target in a lot of people's mind. It might vary across the board, but I think universally, most people would still pick Ben Johnson. How much ground are Bobby Slowick and Dave Canales picking up on the Detroit Lions OC? Uh, I don't think... A ton. It's hard to tell who's the favorite right now, who it could be, because we get the report. People are guesstimating that uh, Brian Callahan could be the guy. So he's still a guy that's sitting there in the mix as well. So it's hard to tell who's the front runner uh, at this moment. And I think Sloick and Canales are guys that are up there. And I think that they are very serious candidates. I don't think there's any... uh, you know, smoke blowing about these two guys being in the running, but I still think Ben Johnson's the guy. Uh, haven't heard a lot about Frank Smith and some of the others, but I yeah, think that, these, that was initially, right? Yeah, yeah, haven't heard a lot about those guys. We don't know how much they're into the Baltimore 
uh, tandem as well. So there's still a lot on the table. So it's no telling when they're going to make this. I thought that they would have a decision by this week, but I think maybe the fact that they don't have a decision means that they're probably waiting on some of the guys that are in the playoffs. Uh, so both of these guys are still in there as well. So I think that the Panthers, once some of the smoke clears after this weekend, I think we'll get some more clarity on who's the favorite. We just had my first mic turn off for a burp right there. That was the first one, to be honest with you. Still got a long way to go. So, yeah, it does feel like if we're going on the momentum meter, Ben Johnson starting to lose it, going to Carolina, not because of anything he's done. Just we have people writing in. They don't think he's coming here. And we have the commander's rumor. That would be the favorite, I would imagine. At the end of the coaching search, I think Canales or Sloak just might be that guy unless another team goes and hires them because everybody else might just go for some of the popular retreads west jim harbaugh chargers maybe you have that match bill belichick atlanta maybe you have that match we'll see nick sirianni i don't think he's going to be fired at this point right like the further we get out the less i think it's still a possibility yeah. but i think as the days go by they're getting less and less. It was the McCarthy thing, yeah. right? Like the further you get out here, then the more likely I would think he keeps his job. And so in a way, Mike McCarthy keeping his job helped the Carolina Panthers because now they're not in the mix to go get somebody that the Panthers might want, even if they were just going to go get Bill Belichick. But then that would leave Atlanta to go after some of these coordinators that we would want here in Carolina. Let's hear from Dave Canales as he's starting to pick up steam. Here he is discussing how your film is your resume. Your film is your resume. So the biggest thing I can do for any opportunities um, is to really focus on having another week like last week where we were in rhythm, the mix of the run and pass, everything coming together, you know, and that was just a, a full focus on the opponent, you know, and we got a, we got our hands full this week with the fantastic team going up to a great place. Um, the fans are all fired up there, I'm sure, you know, so um, I really just got to be locked in on that. And, and again, you know, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And so I have some stuff prepared that I've had for a couple of years and really fortunate to have been with Pete for 14 years, you know, and his approach was always grooming us for what the next thing is to continue to expand our mind and, and be prepared. So when, if these opportunities come up, we're ready to talk about philosophy and, and football and all those things. Mm. Okay, I like what I heard right there. Oh, he's you talking really? about he's got some stuff in the stash. Now, I can't. This makes me more excited to see this Tampa game. He said he's got stuff in the stash that he's been holding on to for years. I, I need to make sure the listeners understand what's going on. That is not a normal reaction to coaches speaking on the microphone from West Bryant. <laughs> Usually... I would say maybe 25% of the time during the soundbite, he will make a comment such as, I'm bored with this already. Yeah. And then at the end of a lot of those comments, usually will, he will say, okay, thanks for telling us a whole bunch of nothing. Right. Wes just gave you a, <laughs> after Dave Canales spoke, now he just rose up a little bit more on my meter. Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, you know, you got a coordinator talking about that he's got some stuff prepared that he's had in a stash, so this got me rubbing my hands. I'm like, what you got? I can't wait to see how they're going to approach this thing with Detroit, man. I, I think this is a very underrated game that we're talking about here, man. It, it should be a great matchup, but now that Dave said he's got wrinkles, man, I like the wrinkles. Dave Canales doesn't have any wrinkles. <laughs> he does not have any wrinkles, but he's got some for the Detroit Lions. He does. That's true. All right. We'll Apparently. Move, we'll move on. I want to continue to talk about David Tepper, not just the candidates that they have interviewed. How about the candidates they haven't? We know about Jim Harbaugh. We know about Bill Belichick. But should they have interviewed Mike Vrabel already? 
And then we have some Vinny Serrato sound, the right-hand man to Dan Snyder, who joined Kyle Bailey yesterday. We will repurpose some of that audio and make sure we give you some more of that good content coming up here on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Man, it feels like here we are talking about. Fiddy, I feel like our show has been an escape for you this week. It feels like everybody else <laughs> around you has been a problem continuing to clown you about the Dallas Cowboys. I don't feel like that's been the case for us. I feel like I'm pretty confident, even with Wes, he's yeah. locked and loaded on San Francisco. Like He's so focused. He's game time ready, and he's been game time ready for the last two weeks. That's right. So I think that's why he hasn't been <laughs> clowning you. But I don't feel like either one of us have. It does feel like Mac and Bone and Charlotte Sports Today, whew, you have not been able to catch a break from those shows. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this song, Wes, I want it on the playlist whenever you put it together on Sunday okay. afternoon. Right. Um, it's 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 been tough. Flounder just came in here and riled it up a little bit. And, and what's, what's so funny well, about Flounder of, well, is... Hold on. I want to preface it. He, it's not like he came in with intention to exactly. rile it up. It wasn't like that. It always starts with some yeah, fitty comments. It was just you know, like we were talking about what was going on. And there's, there's Colin right there. <laughs> Colin is walking behind the glass oh, right yeah, now. Dude, yeah, Colin, un, I mean, just completely scorched earth on me this morning. <laughs> You know, I go in there every morning. We just have a nice, casual conversation, talk about life, talk about what's going to go on this weekend. I made a comment about wanting to see uh, Josh Allen get beat because I hate Josh Allen. Okay. See how different they cover another postseason failure for him compared to Dak Prescott. Colin wasn't having it, man. Um, he also said on Shaw Sports Today he was going to buy me lunch because he felt pretty bad. I'll take a four-piece Supreme with a fry and a sweet tea. How in the world do you get people to continue to buy you well, lunch? I am a victim as well. Because I, I feel like, and y'all can come to the defense of me. Well, yes, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. But I'm not your prototypical Dallas fan. I don't walk around here talking about this is our year. We go into the Super Bowl. I openly complain I think about, that's fair. about the limitations of my team. And, and, and understand that for 30 years, they have been one of the biggest underachievers in all of sports. So I think that's fair about your cowboy evaluation. I, I feel like, you know, you want to go after the entire fan base like that's cool. Cut me some slack. Because I'm not your prototypical front-running cowboy fan. All right. I like this text message. It's actually a picture message on the text line. And the sign outside of Dilworth Neighborhood Grill has become a thing here in Charlotte. Mm. There have been some funny things written there about the Carolina Panthers, uh, about the sports scene, even just about the city itself. And so now as to go into the middle and transition from the Dallas Cowboys to the Carolina Panthers – the sign out in front of Dilworth Neighborhood Grill says, learn from Jerry Jones, meddling owners don't win. So there is a message to David Tepper using the Dallas Cowboys as an example. I do want to go to some other text on the 704-570-9610 text line. Charlotte Sports Dude, Walker's about to look like the old Gatorade commercials, sweating orange liquid after he's done. <laughs> the fluorescent sweat. I remember well, that. Well, I'm going for a dunk. Boom! In slow motion. 
I don't think I'm going to look like that, though, to be honest. Brian says, Walker, just remember your days of all-night gaming, and you'll smash that orange soda, no problem. <laughs> Flounder said he did it in high school in about an hour's worth of time before he hopped in to the classroom, and he said, yeah, he was hurting pretty badly when he did it, like afterwards, so uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, we're scrolling Herman Photography, formerly Logo 704, says, knowingly doing things that are not good for you, Walker. Walker Tepper. That's who I am. Uh, and then here's one from Salesman as we get back to the Carolina Panthers conversation. Salesman says, I'm sorry, but I still don't see a serious coach wanting to come here and work under Humpty Doofus. Wow. <laughs> While his Queen Tepper is analyzing offensive line drills. Yeah, David Tepper, confidence in him is there's there's none of that. There's zero confidence in uh David I can't Tepper say right they're now. lacking hope right now. The fans don't have a lot of hope. They don't trust the owner. That's a bad place to be. It really is. And so let's try to figure out what David Tepper can do here because we saw what happened last offseason. Speaking of front running, that's what I view of David Tepper. That That's my biggest problem with him. There, there are lots of problems with Tepper as an owner. The, the good things that people will remind you of is that he does want to win. That's true, and I value that. He does spend his money. He is not cheap, and I do value that value that too. But I don't like he puts on this show being the everyman when things are going well and people are speaking glowingly about him, just like last offseason. I have never seen – the only other time I've seen David Tepper that available was when he first purchased the team, and he was trying to run the PR campaign. Smartly so, by the way. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I liked the idea of David Tepper – Going out and having a beer with Panthers fans. And, and yeah, you can have a cynical view of it then. It That's sounds fine. hot in theory. And, and it's cool. I, it is legitimately cool, right? I get that. But then you start losing all the time. And then you're not out there. And then you do the 10-minute press conference. And you are not trying to take away the press conference of Frank Reich and Scott Fitterer or whoever this next regime is going to be, right? Like, that's my big problem. So... With David Tepper being so available this offseason, yeah, we're doing great. Everybody loves what we did. We hired so many different great coaches. We traded up for the number one overall pick. I want to tell you all about the process to trade up for the number one overall pick. That offseason compared to this one, Wes, what are some of the differences you see? It could be coaching candidate pool. It could be whatever. Just what are some of the differences that you've seen from David Tepper and the Panthers operating this offseason compared to last because they are in a similar situation looking for a new coach and trying to get back on track. Well, I think in its totality, this was a team that went into the offseason thinking that they were only a few pieces away from getting to an NFC South division championship, getting to the playoffs. And so now they're coming into, the, into this now, and it's essentially a complete rebuild. You've got some pieces on defense, and the defense was one of the more positive parts of your program, but... Now you have to go into the offseason with way more questions than last year, especially on the offensive line. And now you know that Icky looks like a liability. And what are you going to do with him? Uh, your quarterback, you know, it's a 50-50 proposition if he's going to come through. I think he will, but the question is, do a lot of other people? And so I think that's the big difference with this offseason. Uh, I feel like that the messaging is still the same as far as the type of coach that they want, as far as wanting an offensive coach. But, yeah, the pool is better. I think they are much better candidates 
uh, out there. And I think one thing I'd point to uh, automatically is that they haven't been turned down yet. They got turned down a couple times last offseason. That turned is, down by you know Ben Johnson, true. D'Amico Ryans. This time uh, we haven't heard any reports that they've been turned down by anybody as of yet. So, have not thought about that, and you're yeah. so right. Like here we are, so worried and just expecting and assuming that that happens. But you are right. We got that last year before the season happened, and yet we haven't had any reports that they've been turned down. Now we could maybe see Jim Harbaugh having turned it down, but I was listening to Bone and Mac earlier. Bone was saying it. Jim Harbaugh reportedly was interested in looking at the Carolina job and. I think David Tepper, because he was scared with the whole Matt Rule bringing a coach from the college ranks thing, didn't want anything to do with Harbaugh. Even if it is pretty clearly different, having had success with San Francisco, didn't bring him in for an interview. And now, here we are, no Bill Belichick, no interview there, and no Mike Vrabel. And I, Vrabel's at least an interview guy. Maybe, maybe it's kind of stupid for me to ask to interview Mike Vrabel if I still want Canales and I still want somebody else. But Vrabel still has accomplished enough to the point where you at least have to inquire about him. We also know that there's a brotherhood between these coaches. Do you think this could be a scenario where Frank Reich and maybe Matt Rule have warned these dudes? Like, it's it's not worth your time. It's not like you're going to get paid, but, if, but, but, it's, but it's, it's, it's not worth the headache. But I guess it goes back... I, we don't know what's going on, right? Like, we got confirmation about coaching candidates turning down the Panthers' inquiries, but we haven't heard that yet here, and I think that's what you're operating under, right? Like, we just don't know if that's the case. It could be. Those text messages in that athletic article early December from Diana Rossini and Joe Person, yeah, it's not a great look. It's a pretty bad one. So maybe you're right. They just, there hadn't been a reaching out by either party. But I think more so we're frustrated with the fact that we haven't heard the reaching out on behalf of the Panthers with some of these qualified candidates that have experienced a lot of success, whether it be Belichick, Vrabel, or Harbaugh, two of which have been to a Super Bowl and won the greatest of all time. Yeah, and so uh, I think it'll be interesting this weekend because I think at some point this weekend we'll get the news that Belichick is going to be the coach of the Atlanta Falcons, I think no later than Monday. And I wonder how if that's going to speed up the Panthers process or is that going to make the focus heightened? I'm not sure that it would or it should. But uh, like I said, this offseason, at least it's been quiet thus far as far as just haven't had any major incidents in a while or haven't had anything leaked that was too negative on the Panthers. And uh, I guess they're just doing their due diligence at this point and trying to figure out their candidates. Let's hear some audio from Vinny Serrato, who joined the Kyle Bailey show yesterday. If you don't know, Vinny was the right-hand man to Dan Snyder for so many years. You know how many years he, he was that guy, that purpose with the commanders, just long enough to have the dirt, to understand the process behind the worst NFL owner that we've seen in the last 30 years or so. That's certainly up there. Let's hear from him. Here's Vinny Serrato on the Kyle Bailey show, talking about what he thinks the problem is with David Tepper after six years of losing. You got to start with ownership. I mean, I've been with two owners, you know, in roughly 20 years and two teams. You know, I was with Eddie DeBarlo in San Fran, and Eddie let everybody do their jobs. Like for the draft, he'd come out on Friday. He'd come to my office, and he'd, uh, he'd have Mel Kuyper's book in his hand. He said, who we drafted? <laughs> and I would tell him, all right. You know, and then for the draft day, he'd sit in the back for a while. And then he'd go into his office, and when we were going to pick, he'd come out. 
So, I mean, that's how involved he was. Now in Washington, more like Carolina. Dan was there every day. Dan was on a pole with me all the time. Uh, Dan wanted to be uh, part of the draft. He was in the draft room. Um, he would never sit in any meetings, and he would go to the combine, sit in the interviews, and they'd fall in love with guys. And um, that's the, to me it sounds like that's the problem that you guys are having, the same kind of thing that Washington had. You have a, an owner that loves being involved but doesn't have a football background and doesn't let the football people make the football decision. When people compare David Tepper to Dan Snyder, I've always stopped well short of that because Snyder is a criminal and we have articles written on that behalf. And so that's why I don't like comparing them. The comparison here does stay strictly on the football side. And I think that's where Vinny is coming from. When we go to that extreme comparison here with the worst guy that we've seen run a team in the last 30 years. Yeah, I think it's interesting, but it's still some of the similar traits that he's talking about as far as in office uh, with the football activities. Coming in there, falling in love with guys, not knowing the intricacies of the game and how that player could translate. I mean, the personality and all that's great. and You want great football character and things of that nature. I get that. But, again, he's saying that he gets too caught up in some of the stuff that doesn't matter. And he's, that's what he's saying about Daniel Snyder, guys that are coming in that these guys have scouted and, and went through with a fine-tooth comb and couldn't find that they could necessarily translate in the way in which they want it. But Snyder and the owners sit in there, and they're like, hey, we like this guy because of this or that. We want to pick him. And I think that is what they're running into with uh, David Tepper. And I think that if we go back and look at this thing uh, years down the road and uh, hopefully Bryce works out, I still think that he will work out. But uh, this could be something we could look at down the road and say, you know, this was the reason that they missed out uh, on a kid who looks like a superstar. All right, so you bring up Bryce Young. Vinny Serrato also had something to say about the number one overall pick. Here's what he said the Panthers need to do to make sure you get the most out of him in year two. Well, I think look at what happened to Lamar when they went and got him some weapons and stuff, you know. I, and I think that's what they've got to do. They've got to they've got to give him an offensive line because he's not like Lamar being able to run around and and do those things. And he's a guy, so you better take care of the offensive line and get him some people to throw to. And you better have a run game. You know that's going to help your quarterback because you know I mean he's still the same guy that he was at Alabama, and he still flashes and make some nice plays, but he gets a crap beat on him. And he, he survived the season, but they need some help around him. That's, that's, that's the big thing I see. I think we all know that. So here, here's, what, here's what I think David Tepper learned. I don't, I don't know this, but I would imagine that he learned that his whole point guard theory is wrong. I've joked about that quite a bit because it was hilarious to me. The same owner that is not speaking to media as much as we want him to now could not help himself, but tell you how they found a loophole in the system to where they could just get a quarterback, pay him after a rookie scale and not really have to worry about the wide receiver position. And not only was it not true, it, it proved that, Oh yeah, you still need good wide receivers. You still need a good offensive line for sure as well with David Tepper having experienced the exact opposite of his theory. I have to imagine he learned from that. And so hopefully they do put the better pieces around. It's easier said than done. We all know everything needs to improve around Bryce. Now you just have to evaluate the players that are better than what you put forth last year. Yeah, And the thing is too, you look at it and you say, well, 
You want to fit the scheme around the players that you have. All right, I get that. But the Panthers also need to identify their philosophy. What's the attack plan? How do they want to uh, be able to come at teams and then identify players that are going to fit that mold? I mean, do you want to be, you know, a, a dink and dunk passing team with guys that are going to get it done with Yak? Well, then you need to identify those kind of receivers. Do you want to be a team that's going to attack aggressively down the field? Then, yeah, you want to go get you some 50-50 ball guys. T. Higgins would be probably at the top of that list if that's what you want to do. So I think that's the big thing, too. They need to identify their philosophy. You've seen Bryce Young play. You know what he needs, what he doesn't need. Now it's time to say, how do we want to attack people? Uh, and then based off that, now start getting your players that are ideal for your system. The Panthers need to develop a system. You've got uh, the quarterback that will ideally be your guy for 10, 12, 14 years, however long it may be. So now it's time to figure out how you want to use him to spearhead your attack and find the requisite players to go with that. I am feeling the effects of the yeah, orange I soda. Yeah, I see it. Strong. I see it over there. Um, you still got about halfway to go. <laughs> I'm feeling it. It's um, lots of holding back burps. Lots of I'm I'm starting to get a headache yeah. now. Um, we'll see. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it goes. Granny Pat wrote in on the text line. By the way, we love Granny. We got to see her this week when she stopped by and said, "What's up." She said, I'm struggling. <laughs> she said, boys, I understand everyone's opinion about David Tepper and agree. Then I think if I owned an NFL team, I'd like to have some say in things as well. And this is exactly why I brought it up. Our own Josh Fitty Marlowe said the same thing in the fishbowl. Yeah. And I know you've said some things similarly on air, but Fitty even perhaps the most self-awareness I've ever seen from him, saying, oh, I would be a terrible owner. You're talking about the uh, tension in the building, boy. <laughs> Lord, after every loss, if they don't win by enough, if enough people don't get hurt, people would be uh, hiding in their offices with Fitty coming around. I want to know what kind of what kind of owner would you be, Fitty? I, I, I would be like if Jerry Jones and George Steinbrenner had a baby. I would be that type of guy where I would meet with the media after every game. I would give... My team has much resources as possible to win, but damn it, if you don't, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to make you feel like a low life. You know what? Yeah. Because. I do know what. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> but I mean, I know it. Like I know if I was an owner and I had $18 billion to my name, I would be, I'd be a disaster. I really love that, to be honest with you, because I think he's right. I, I, I actually think everything he said is 100% accurate. Oh, I believe it, too. I do think Fiddy would pay everything he possibly could to allow his team to win. Yeah. Yep. I think I think he would do the exact. Are we realizing that David Tepper is just Fiddy with $18 billion to Maybe his name? So. That is might that, be true. <laughs> well. I, I, I think Fiddy would welcome. I think he would welcome more of the backlash and then deliver it more so than Tepper. I think that's true. But yeah. Tepper just threw a drink on someone. Oh, yeah. So like, maybe it is Fiddy. It's Fiddy who is like 50 years old and has $18 billion to yep. his name. And I wouldn't be a coward. I would meet with the media. I would tell them, hey, yeah, I ain't learned from my mistakes as a bad owner. Like, I'd sit there and be like, <laughs> it's not getting any better. I've got to look myself in the mirror. we got to get 1% better every day. Oh but I God. would be... <laughs> I would be a total disaster. Wait, that's a Matt Rule thing. You can't do that. That was so Matt Rule. I had flashbacks. That hurts more than the orange soda does. You can't say well, you're going to put up a DBO sign out of practice 
and now you're going to say we're going to get 1% better every day. I just got flashbacks of horror. Mm. <laughs> you're better. All right. I'm going to drink some more orange soda. We got Doug. We got people saying, hey, Walker, I hope this doesn't turn you into an Oompa Loompa. I think that is going to happen. I'm starting to experience the effects. I, I, I thought I might be able to do it in an hour. I'm here to tell you that I can't. Do a radio show, fight back some of the feelings that I'm feeling, and get this thing down. You can call me uh, a wimp all you want to. <laughs> I'll be I'll be that. I'll be a wimp. That's fine. Rage text all you want to with all the caps and the exclamation points. I'm trying, Jennifer. I'm trying. Let's move on. Doug Branson of the Locked On Hornets podcast joins us on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wes just walked back in here with a bottle of five-hour energy, and it's just comical to see the different size and bottles that each of us possess today. I, myself, have a two-liter of Fanta orange soda that I keep prolonging the time span and what it's what time it's going to be able to be drank all, yeah. all the way. It's this tough. This is uh, 1.93 yeah. ounce. <laughs> what is mine? <laughs> mine is, so basically mine a is sip. Si- Mine is 67.6 fluid ounces. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I feel, I don't drink a lot of soda. I feel very different. Um, My head is just, I I can only describe like a dizzy feeling. Like my brain, like gravity doesn't necessarily apply to my brain. Um, Bubble guts for sure. Ooh. Yeah. That sugar hits, man. Yeah. My thing is, it's like, why do they need to put all that in? So that's the thing that always cracks me up when I look at some of the food. It's just like, why do we have to have all of this in there? Copeland Jokeland said, like, he was almost mad at me. He was cursing me out on the text line borderline saying, why in the world did you not get diet orange soda? That's what I said to you when you you came in and said, I said, why didn't you just get a diet soda? I like pain. As long as it's soda, it's all relative. I like pain. Speaking of pain. Mm. Let's talk to Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> Let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline and welcome Doug Branson from the Locked On Hornets Dougie podcast. B. You can also check him out on his Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com, and you can follow him if he hasn't blocked you already on Twitter at Doug Branson L O H. Doug, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm good. I'm sitting here on the hotline on hold listening to Walker Mel brag about the size of his bottle. And let me just say this. It's not the size of the bottle. It's the motion of the gases that it produces in your stomach. Okay. I got the motion and I got the size, Doug. Let me tell you that right now. He's hurting. He's starting to get more and more uncomfortable. I am starting to get more uncomfortable. So I need you to help me out here. Let's go to the trade deadline talk because I don't want to recap the Pelicans game. I don't want to recap any of the losses. Okay. I just don't want to do it. That's fair. I do want to go to some trade deadline discussion and let's focus on Terry Rozier, Jake Fisher. You know, we like to go fishing on Locked On Hornets. Jake Fisher reported about the Hornets that Terry Rogier's preference, Terry's preference, would be that if he were to be traded, it would be to go to the Miami Heat. Now, Kyle Lowry is the most logical player contractually that you would put in any kind of re- return here for Charlotte. But what did you make of Terry's preference to go to Miami and what that trade would look like? How would that benefit Charlotte if it were indeed uh, going to happen? Well, from Terry's perspective, it makes a lot of sense. He lives uh, in Miami, spends a lot of time there. I don't know if you recall a couple of uh, off-seasons ago, he gathered most of the team in Miami for a little pre-training camp, training camp. So just proximity to where he spends most of his time, that that makes a lot of sense. And I I think Terry in general 
is the kind of player that would go to heat culture and everything that that stands for and, and thrives. And he present, he, you know, his game presents something that I think would benefit Miami just in terms of giving them a little bit of an extra scoring punch. What would his role be when he gets there? Would he be a starter? Would he be uh, coming off the bench? I think a, a lot of that would have to be hammered out, but just from his perspective, it makes a lot of sense for the Hornets you know, it's 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 all about yeah. What can you get in return? Because Kyle Lowry is is just a situation where you're moving money off the books and uh, moving it off the books faster than you would if you were to retain Terry Rozier. What you would lose, though, in entertainment value for fans that uh, subject themselves to the Spectrum Center night in and night out would hmm. be significant. And I think the Hornets have to take that into account as they, you know, figure out whatever whatever course they are going to set for the next few seasons. Uh, you you do have to have some players around that do provide that entertainment value. Uh, Lamelo, if he stays healthy, will will do that. Uh, but losing Terry would would be significant, especially if you can't replace him with someone in the locker room uh, that you know represents, I think, a little bit of playoff experience that Terry had. Uh, but also just the grit and determination that I'm going to go out night in, night out, give you my absolute best. I mean, I, there is a there is a value to that. It's not on the box score every night, but there is a value to that. So if they do move him to Miami or wherever, they need to make sure that they're finding guys at this trade deadline or next offseason that can replace some of what they would miss without him. All right, we got people actually writing in potential trades, and I like this. I want to throw some of the trades our listeners come up with at Doug at the end of this interview, and then he can give us a uh, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So, or Stangin or, or Clangin. We'll do something from Lockdown yes. on it. Stangin, good trade, Clangin. Send it back. All right, yeah. Send your trades in, 704-570-9610. We will let Doug uh, dictate whether they're staying in or clanging. What and you got, Wes? And, Doug, I, I would ask you, too, why would the Hornets even be inclined to send him to Miami? A, I know division rivalries don't matter much in the NBA, but why would they even do that for a guy that they would have to see potentially so often? Well, I think if you're sending Terry as part of a larger teardown, I don't, I don't know that at least in the next couple of seasons that you're going to be too concerned with the results of your four matchups with the Miami Heat every season. But, but that's certainly that's certainly a good question. You know, I don't think they necessarily need to be totally inclined to it if there is a better deal that exists. I don't think that Miami is going to be the only team interested in Terry Rozier at this deadline. I think the Los Angeles Lakers, the Golden State Warriors. I think there are a couple of teams out West that could use uh, both not only the scoring, but also the playmaking that Terry has, has showed off. It's important that they get the timing right on this though, because you know, Terry is playing peak basketball right now and injuries have been a concern with him in the past as they have with uh, virtually every single person that has donned the teal and purple over the past couple of seasons. But you want to make sure uh, that you're getting the best package for this player available. If you don't see him as, as a part of your future, so they shouldn't be totally inclined, but also there is some institutional value to, you know, putting a player that has given a lot to your franchise in the best situation. If you were going to get the same package in Miami that you were going to get everywhere else, though, I think the Hornets do, and this has been documented by many insiders, the Hornets do have a reputation issue in the NBA. And when you're trying to attract talent, whether that be through trades and then convincing them to re-sign or trying to attract talent in free agency, a lot of factors play into that. And your reputation as an organization, how you treat players,
players who do a lot for you as an organization, that does play a part in convincing people to play for you in the future. So I, I don't think they should totally discount that. Well, Doug, going back to your locker room comment, and you talk about that, they say Mark Williams, Brandon Millen, LaMelo Ball uh, are untouchable, so to speak. So should that be it for the youth on this Hornets team? Like, I know they've got their rookies that are still on the come up and things of that nature, but should the goal of these trades when they move these guys is to be able to get uh, perhaps some vets in there, or should they try to get more picks to add, you know, maybe find another star that's a young player? Yeah, I think it's it's all going to be what the priority is for this new ownership group. If it's to continue the trend of of saving money, uh, then I think that you're going to want to look to move pieces in order to accumulate some draft assets. And then I, I would I would suggest to them also if if in that process you could find some players to bring into your locker room that could reset the attitude of the locker room. Not necessarily guys that are on three- or four-year contracts, not big-money guys, but guys that represent two-way play, that represent committing themselves to the defensive end, even if they're not getting uh, the, the offensive action that they maybe would expect other places, but they're committing themselves to that end of the floor. I think that would be important to the future success of this team. I think the next couple of seasons, either next season or the season after that, we should be looking at that as a season where you go, sneakily, that season was the season where the run started. And, you know, Brandon Miller is going to, you know, ascend. His game is going to ascend. LaMelo is going to ascend. Eventually, this team will have uh, all-star talent, multiple all-stars on this team again. And it might be guys that are homegrown. But I think they need some players around them that you look at a season and go, you know, those guys didn't stay on the roster long, but they reset the locker room. They provided an identity for this team that the rest of the players went and took and made a run with. And and I think that's what they should be focused on. And there are names out there that represent that opportunity. All right, Doug, um, quickly, because I also want to get to some of these trades. I just wanted to also hear your analysis on Amazon purchasing Bally Sports and how that would uh, change the viewing experience for Hornets fans. And then we can get to some of these trades. Well, it's going to provide Hornets fans uh, that are cord cutters locally or, or fans um, you, you know that, that don't have that cable subscription that it's going to provide them the opportunity to watch the Hornets on a stable platform, on a platform that has been generally reliable, and that being Amazon Prime. Now, I don't think that it's going to mean that if you have an Amazon Prime subscription right now that you are suddenly going to get free access to watch the Hornets next season. I think it will be an add-on uh, purchase, but it really represents for Bally Sports a, 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 a lifeline that they, they didn't have. They're, in, they're fighting off you know, bankruptcy right now, and, and Amazon provides them with a little stability there. So it, it could be the continuation of the, the regional sports network. It provides Amazon a backdoor into NBA coverage that they were probably you know, with some other streamers negotiating with the NBA anyway as they prepare – their new TV deal. So this gives them, you know, a, a, probably a cheap opportunity to test the waters in, in terms of that. But for fans, you know, you're going to be able to, to log on to an app and be, you know, sure that you can watch the game. And I think, I think in the short term, that's great for fans. That's, that's obviously great for fans in the short term. In the long term, though, I think that all of these teams that are on these regional sports network contracts should consider whether that, it, that is viable for them and, and the growth of their fan base. I think they should make these broadcasts as available 
as possible. And to me, that means getting on some kind of local broadcast. I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, good stuff from Doug on Amazon purchasing Valley Sports. All right, staying in or clang and Doug Chris from the Tray Four. He writes in Quentin Grimes. I'm guessing Evan Fournier. Future first-round pick for Terry Rozier. We don't owe him anything. Send him who gives us the best package, and we'll see what happens from there. But Grimes, Evan, future first for Terry. Staying in or clinging? I think if you can get a, a future first or a future first and other picks for Terry, I'm going to just say that's automatically staying. I, I, don't, I think that they have not been able to convince teams to – uh, uh, provide that kind of package for Terry Rozier in the past, and Terry Rozier's game has only gotten better. So if you can acquire a first-round pick for Terry Rozier, uh, I, I think you're going to consider that deal staying. What you got, Wes? Uh, I was going to say that um, somebody put on the, the Hornets Reddit said Bill Simmons doesn't think it will happen, but just the mere suggestion, <laughs> if Charlotte calls him and makes a godfather offer for one Steph Curry <laughs> – he said, what have they offered LaMelo, Hayward's expiring contract, and four <laughs> unprotected firsts? Stanging or clanging, Doc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not Stanging. It's not clanging. It's a total air ball. Clanging means it hit the rim. This one doesn't even hit the rim. You don't need to mortgage literally everything that your franchise has to offer in the next couple of seasons for Steph Curry. Number one, I, I don't think – that the Golden State Warriors would entertain really any offer, no matter how Godfather or Godfather Part Two or Godfather Part Three it mm. is, in order to to get Steph Curry. The other thing too is Steph has teased that he you know could see himself in in a Hornets jersey at some point in his career. Now you know is it a you know a Robert Parrish you know final season if, as a member of the Charlotte Hornets kind of situation. Or, you know, probably. But, you know, I, I don't think the Hornets need to package anything. They could probably just wait until his final free agency uh, to make some kind of ceremonial Steph Curry and Charlotte thing Typical, typical Charlotte. You know, we'll get him when he's washed. And all he can do is come in and hit a couple of threes a game. That, that'll be that'll suffice. That's, that's Charlotte life around here. We'll get the greatest guys when they're washed. All right, Doug. Spence writes in, Wes, uh, or excuse me, Doug, the Hornets need to trade Nick Richards for Joel Embiid. Staying it or clanging? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dang it. I mean, it's yeah. a good deal for both parties. I mean, Nick Richards uh, has uh, really improved his defense. You know, he was a guy that you can count on for offensive rebound putbacks, but now he is more of a two-way player, rim protector. And I think when you look at the stats side-by-side, side, it makes sense to even deal for both things. All right, so there you go. If you take nothing else from this interview, take away that Doug thinks it would be a good idea to trade Nick Richards for Joel Embiid. Now, now, go ahead. Now, Nick Richards has come up in some uh, trade rumors to Houston. And, and I think some kind of, because they need some backup big help. And, and I think a deal that makes sense is some kind of Nick Richards uh, for Jay Sean Tate. You know, I, I, you figure out how the salaries work there. But Jay Sean Tate is a name that I would be interested in seeing moving uh, to Charlotte because he, he represents uh, toughness, hustle, two-way play. He's been one of Houston's better defenders. But they've... Uh, they've gotten their veterans in, in Van Vliet. And so, you know, he's had to move to the bench. So I think he's a perfect opportunity. Um, a couple of Blazers that I would look at as they continue to embrace their youth movement and tank is Jeremy Grant. Uh, I think explosive finisher, two-way player would, you know, immediately insert some good shooting. I think he's shooting above uh, 41% from three this season. Uh, so, so there are a couple of names out there. Malcolm Brogdon from, from Portland as well. 
would provide some much-needed help for LaMelo Ball to back up point guard position and, and could play alongside him off ball as well. Uh, you could start him alongside LaMelo Ball, I think, comfortably. So a lot of options out there for the Hornets. Uh, it's just go- going to all be about timing. Do you do it now at the trade deadline, or do, or do you wait until teams are a little bit more desperate You know, around draft time? Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All names that are worse than Joel Embiid, so I don't like him. That's Doug Branson from the Lockdown Hornets <laughs> podcast joining us here on Wesson Walker. Read this man's work on his Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com, and he's got a great podcast. Go check that out, too, on YouTube or wherever you get your pods, Lockdown Hornets. Doug, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks again. Uh, no Thanks, problem. Doug. I'm drinking a one liter, if anyone was wondering. One liter. All right, one liter, like not even an ounce, and then two liters. we got to go <laughs> to break. I'm sorry, everybody. More Wesson Walker to come. Sports Radio 92.7 FM.